Hey everyone, welcome to the Waterlab Podcast. I'm James Marshall and this episode was brought to you by Pure Sport CBD and Fortune Favours. And now if you're interested in receiving a very generous offer from either of these two partners, well then head over to waterlab.com and it will have all the details on how you can get involved over there. But today I have an absolute treat for you, especially for all my Canadian listeners. This man has promised to get Waterlab to the top of the charts and I have no doubt that he will. He's played for Canada on the biggest stage in the 15-man game and he somehow represented them at the seven-a-side game as well. He's also played for Stormers and Super Rugby, won the Curry Cup with Western Province, and he has become a legend of the London Irish team in England. He is the great lad who loves the banter, Jeb Sinclair. Welcome, Jebediah. Oh, thanks for having me, Jimmy. This is all. I think uh, the very first time you posted this on Instagram, I was like, you've got to get me on your show. <laughs> oh, you've been slow playing me for almost a year. You know, with big dogs like you, you've got to sort of wait for the right moment to unleash you. I had to build up some sort of base, and now now we can explode up the charts, eh? Yeah, yeah. you had to go a few rounds before you take on the champ. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But what's been happening? What are you up to at the moment? Um, not too much, man. Moved uh, when I left London Irish. I moved to Vancouver, Canada. Yeah. Um, didn't didn't know anyone here in the city. Just kind of mailed my stuff to customs and stayed at a random person's house for a month while I found a place to stay. And then uh, he's now become a very good friend. He's no longer a random person, luckily. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, started out in commercial real estate, and uh, that's my day job now. That's why I'm dressed like this geez looking very sharp i never would have pictured you in commercial real estate so how did you get into that well i just like i said i didn't know anyone in vancouver so when i landed i just i reached out to some old rugby guys who were from here and kind of touched base with a few of them and got them to introduce me to you know people in hiring positions uh you know decision makers to see if i could get a job i didn't know what i was going to do and half of them you know, I talked to probably a hundred people and around half of them were in commercial real estate. So I said, geez, I should probably try that. <laughs> and there you are just dominating commercial real estate. Oh, it was hardly dominating. I, I remember I, I booked my real estate exam for just a day before I started at the job that I was hired for. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll swim it. I'll ace it. It'll be easy. But it was brutally hard and I failed it. So I had to show up for my first day of work having just failed my license. I'm like sitting in the managing director's office like, yeah, so about that license, I, ha- I have to wait now 30 days before I can write it again. Oh, true. So that was uh, just my first little taste of anxiety. It was nice. <laughs> the overconfidence of Jebediah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's bitten me before and it'll bite me again. Those things happen. <laughs> and what's the COVID situation over there? You guys just normal life? No, not certainly not normal. Not as bad as uh, England or USA, but not as good as New Zealand or Australia. Sort of somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know, Vancouver proper is about a million people and then the greater Vancouver area is about three million people. Yeah. So. For a big city, we've been we've been pretty lucky and kept the cases down, you know, reasonable reasonable levels. How good! Anyway, I want to go back to you, uh, the way you grew up in Canada. A lot of my guests have grown up in New Zealand. It's all quite similar, but take us back to what it was like for a wee Canadian Jebediah growing up. Well, I call New Zealand a poor man's Canada. Obviously, <laughs> Canada is the pinnacle. Uh, <laughs> 
Growing up in Canada, yeah, I grew up uh, in a outside of a small town called Fredericton, uh, and the small town was called uh, Charter Settlement, New Brunswick. So I grew up basically on a on a farm. My grandfather had Clydesdales and hay, and, right. and he was a tractor salesman. Um, yeah, so just a, a country bumpkin. Did you play any sports? I played, yeah, I played hockey and soccer mostly until about grade 11. And yep. then I broke my leg mountain biking. Oh, sure. Um, and had to take the whole sort of winter off from hockey. And then when the spring came on, you know, dying for a team sport, you know, a 15, 16 year old kid. Uh, and the only sort of walk on sport was rugby. So I just showed up and, <laughs> you know, it was just like, hey, can I play? And they're like, yeah, run forwards, pass back and see how you do. And like within 30 seconds, I was like, I, I loved it. I fell in love with it. I couldn't believe how how amazing it was. So when you say you played hockey, you're, is that um, ice hockey or is that what sort of hockey, hockey is that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're used to the rough yeah. and tumble. Yeah, I played ice hockey and football and uh you know other sort of like contact sports like that so rugby was a a a fairly easy transition that way obviously you know the rules are completely upside down and backwards and even now i still don't know half of them (laughs) it is a crazy game eh? (laughs) (laughs) but one thing you are known for in your rugby is scraps did you get that from um your ice hockey background because i know you're sort of allowed to scrap in ice hockey eh? so is that where that came from yeah i mean it 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 definitely certainly comes from that and then comes from you know the upbringing of kind of being like a farm boy like yeah even like your best your they probably weren't your best friends unless you'd been in a fist fight <laughs> with them at some point so you kind of grow up fighting a little bit you know nothing bad you're not kicking anyone on the ground but you're having a nice scrap once in a while <laughs> and so did you do that all the way through your age grades were you like that yeah. Oh, yeah. Right away from even my first sort of Canada camps and stuff back in 2006 and seven, like scrapping right away. I didn't know any other way. <laughs> Scrap your way in. <laughs> yeah. You kick and punch, fight your way in, kick your way out. So what was your pathway into the um, Canada setup? Well, I actually, when I was in New Brunswick in Fredericton, my home club, the Loyalists, uh, their head coach at the time, Keith McAlpine, his brother-in-law was Finley Calder. Uh, well, Finley and Jim Calder, the two twins that played um, for Scotland in the 80s and 90s. Finn was actually a British and Irish Lions uh, captain in the 91 Lions tour. Yeah. Um, and so when I was playing with him and I was sort of 19 years old uh, and I was in school but not taking anything, you know, specific, he said, why don't you take a year off and go uh play with my brother-in-law's club in Edinburgh, which was the Stuart's Melville. Yeah. Um, so I did. I kind of dropped everything, got a visa, and went over there and played for for their season, even though that was sort of Scot- Scotland 1 or Scotland 2, whatever their levels are. That was still a high enough level that if I was playing over there, the, the national team selectors in Canada invited me to a, a camp sort of right when I came back. Yeah. So when I came back, I was kind of match fit and uh, stood out in, in a Canada East versus Canada West game and and was picked up to be in the in the National Academy and went from there. What position were you playing then? I was back row mostly, back row or second row, always been interchangeable and always played 
like almost 50 50 like yeah. all right through yeah versatile the big man so versatile it helped yeah. honestly because i was you know i was never the first name on a team sheet but i was always very hard to leave off just because it was like man we, fuck we can put them somewhere yeah um so it, it it helped i think in the long run and and talk to me about your sevens um background i didn't know that you'd played canada sevens and i was very surprised so, to see that i thought it was a typo but you did uh yeah i and i got a run out and that was my first run out in twickenham in 2000 <laughs> may 2006 and then in edinburgh after that yeah. uh it was well we played the churchill cup at the same time for oh, the yeah. 15s and there's not a huge pool of rugby players of uh, you know at that level. So whoever basically didn't go to the Churchill Cup for the 15s more or less got picked up for the seven. Oh, so yeah. that's how it happened. And it was man, it was one way traffic. It, we played my first sevens test was against Fiji, and it was yeah one way they were like look at that guy we're running at him he has he has no lateral movement and that was it yeah one way traffic so it didn't go very successfully or did you hold your own oh god it was bru- it was miserable was it? It was, I, I said never again it's i can't it's the worst it's just the worst <laughs> you did two tournaments though didn't you yeah, but it's on the same tour. Like, it's the oh, same yeah. flight. It's the same. Yeah, the, the two weekends in a row. The tr- I was there. <laughs> How were you going into the second tournament after the first one? Oh, I, I I was almost in a position where I wanted to ask not to play. I was hating it so bad. <laughs> I was like, guys, this is the wrong. This is not what I'm here for. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Did you at least get into any scraps? No, because I don't. I can't even get close <laughs> enough to touch someone to even throw any aggro. Like I, you know, I probably played maybe forty minutes over whatever it is, six sort of little mini games. I probably made one tackle, and it would have been like a scrag tackle holding his jersey. Like that was it. Oh, tough times. All right, let's go to your 15s um, debut then and your um, 15s career. How was that? That was obviously a bit more your game. Yeah, that was more my – that was good. Yeah, we uh, November 2008, we played uh, Portugal was the first, the first test just outside of the window. So we'd send – We'd always play like four or five tests in November, and usually the tests at the beginning or the tests at the end would be for the amateurs, and then we'd be joined up by our pros through the November Autumn Internationals. Yeah. Um, so we played Portugal. Uh, yeah, just got got on for a ten minute blood sub, and then got on a bit again for at the end of the game. Yeah. And then the next game we played uh, Ireland in Dublin, and this was back when Canada was like tier 2a so we'd still get like a lot of tier one tests yeah and we played ireland in uh, thoman park in munster with the when they just redid it and opened it uh and it was about one degree sideways rain and i think the the final score was 55 nothing like absolutely pistol whipping us yeah. and the press the whole like for the whole next week we're like why is Canada even <laughs> why are we wasting our time playing these guys and you're just like oh my god like Stephen Ferris's first game and he was playing at the back of the line out and I was playing back of the line out yeah and it was like 
probably the same age and it was like a man against boys like he was bullying me all over the shop i'm like what the fuck so do you guys go into games like that expecting to win or what's your sort of mindset going to those games as canada playing ireland yeah well at that point i you know that was my second test so you have no you have no concept about the gap, right? Yeah. You just think everyone has a shot. And I always kept that mentality when I was playing for Canada. Like, you always have a chance to win. Yeah. You know, on your, if you have your best game and one of those tier one countries doesn't, you know, is maybe just off the mark a little bit, uh, you know, you can, you can sneak one over. And we, and in the past we have, we almost beat, uh, Cowan's um, Scotland team um, <laughs> other than my red card that ruined it in the last 10 minutes but, did you get a um, what was that for well it was, I, it was I can't remember who the 10 was but he came to tackle me and I just went like that and caught him with the elbow and the chin and he went to sleep and we were down by one point and we had the penalty advantage like in front of the post Yeah, and then I Knocked him out and it reversed. So the penalty would have put us ahead. And then, yeah, anyway, they reversed that, gave me the red, and then they beat us. Oh, that's rough, though. eh? Just a hard carry. Red card. That's all it was. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting a bit more violence. Yeah, it's a shame. But obviously you made the 2011 Rugby World Cup Canadian squad. How was that? How was the World Cup in poor man's Canada? (laughs) It was awesome. Like. I hadn't played professionally before then, so certainly like the peak of any sort of rugby. And the World Cup in New Zealand was just unbelievable and like the support was incredible. And I think I think Canada, you know, around the world internationally and in, in lots of sports, Canada is sort of everyone's favorite second team. Yeah. So we always, you know, we had a ton of support at all our games. Um and it was just amazing to kind of be a you know, a mini celebrity. Three of us had big beards and they called us the Beardos. So we got a, you know, a bit of TV play and had some, you know, interviews and stuff. And it was awesome to be a kid and experience that. And what about the games? How did they go? It was good. Yeah. We, we beat Tonga in the first game and I got a tally. So that was, that was really nice. Yeah. And then we played, we played France like incredibly close and they only pulled away from us in the, in the 70th minute. Um, but it's like anything when we play those tier one nations, they, you know, they start a little bit of their bomb squad and you hold your own. And then in the, you know, they bring their subs on who are, (laughs) you know, the guys on half a mil pay packets who come on and just like, they ran three tries in between, you know, 70 and 80 minutes and ended up walking away. But, and that was probably when you were off too, eh? So. The floodgates open. No, I all eighties, baby. All oh, 80s. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, four eighties. Oh, Actually, well, seventy-seven minutes against uh, against Tonga. You know Alika Halani. Yeah. Uh, he played for Tonga, and he hit me late and just hit my hit my kidneys and put me out for the last two minutes. But we ended up winning that game anyway. Um, <laughs> you didn't retaliate. I couldn't. I was down on the ground trying to get my last breath before I died. <laughs> and then we tied. And then we tied Japan, um, yeah. which we should have. Well, we tied them in two World Cups in a row. We should have beat them, but you know they're a decent outfit, and we ended up tying. And then the 
we played the All Blacks at the Cake Tin on the last game. And it's funny when I, you know, you do any after dinner speaking and stuff like that. And especially with, you know, young adults or kids. And I was like, what's it like to play the All Blacks? Like, how hard is it? And I was actually, you know, it was one of the easiest games, one of the easiest games I played. Yeah. Because every two minutes I got to rest for a minute <laughs> under my post as I kicked the convert. It was like... Like scripted rest. It was like a light fitness match. Like run hard for two minutes and then get a minute rest. Like uh, it was absolute one way traffic for eighty minutes. What was that score? I, I want to say eighty seven fifteen. Oh, sure. And the two and two tries we scored. One of them was like an eighty five meter intercept. So yeah. <laughs> against the run of play. So it could have been much much worse. Oh, true. Jeez. Good times, good times at the Rugby World Cup. What about off the field? Do you have any good stories of your times in New Zealand? Yeah, it was great. My parents actually, they went to New Zealand for almost two months. So it was good just having them there and being able to, you know, I wasn't professional yet. So living off mom and pop for a few meals was, you know, needed (laughs) at that time. And then just, you know, tour is just so fun. Yeah. You know, going away with the boys for six or eight weeks is the absolute pinnacle of, of any sport. We had about 25 guys that were going to see the field and were kind of in like the day to day. And then we had five guys that were maybe kind of on the outside. And Kieran Crowley, who's one of your countrymen, um, he was the head coach and he told those guys like, you know, you have to be at training, but you know, feel free to enjoy yourselves at night. Oh, real. And, you know, we'd see those guys like coming in late or leaving, you know, you know, hustling someone out of their hotel room in the morning and you just be like, man, the boys are having a good, having a time. Like, you just, just living it up, man. So then is this how your um, London Irish contract came about just from starring at the World Cup? No, it was just before that. We played in the Churchill Cup. We played the Saxons in the finals. We beat Italy and Russia, maybe, to make the finals. And uh, it was on BBC. And Toby Booth, who was the the director of rugby at Ireland, then just saw me and came down to the dressing room after and said, uh, get your agent to call me. And I said, I don't have an agent. And he said, well, here's, here's a card of a guy that we work with. Um, you know, and tell him to contact me. So I called that guy and, you know, and, and they called Toby Booth and kind of sorted it out. <laughs> True. <laughs> very loose. <laughs> yeah, very loose. And then after the World Cup, it came back to Canada. I was back for about, I don't know, five or 10 days to get my visa and then was straight over to Irish and played like the next week. And how was that? How was it going into the London Irish setup? It was really good. Um, back in 2011, I think Irish had like probably 15 guys at the World Cup, most of which were either Islanders or, um, you know, a handful of English guys and Welsh guys and stuff. So when I showed up there, it was like straight into the on the team sheet for like the first four weeks because they had so many guys, you know, still in the quarterfinals and yeah. mandatory stand down periods. And then the you know, the Islanders that 
were supposed to come back and when they go to get their visas it their phone they lose their phones and then they spend like you know eight extra weeks on the islands before before irish have to send an envoy to get them uh so my playtime went up because guys like ofisa trevor anus and stuff just you know they didn't have cell reception for 16 weeks <laughs> <laughs> oh classic and then talk to me about your super rugby experience everyone will know you as a super rugby um, legend i guess from this part of the world who follow super rugby closely and um, you put in some massive call it legend yeah <laughs> uh, you, you could dabble in that word um so i play, so i get i get to irish and boothy boothy's the the head coach to the director or whatever and uh play 480s right in a row and it's like going really well um but i've only got like a trial contract like from it was like from november 1st to whatever like the last game is like may 1st like a six-month contract and then after the fourth game like everyone's back and everyone's able to be fit so they're like you know you've traveled a lot you've played you know 480s here 480s at the world cup we'll give you a week off um, but I didn't have a contract and I still felt good. So I was like, oh, but there's a Monday night game. Like, yo, can I play? You know, back then you think playing the Monday nighters are, you know, putting your hand up for the team. Like, <laughs> you know, this is something I want to do. Anyway, worst decision ever. Like 10 minutes in a game, just ruptured my thumb and broke my hand in a tackle. Yeah. So I'm out like 16 or 20 weeks uh, healing that. And so I can't really get back into the team when I've come back from this injury. And we've gone on, we've gone from like being like fourth at Christmas to we had like one 10 game losing streak in the Prem. Yeah. And so we weren't in, we weren't in uh, like a relegation battle, but we, we'd been kicked around pretty good. And so they've hired Brian Smith. And so second last game of the season, you know, the bomb squad gets a run out against the Wasps. Uh, I get 10 or 20 minutes off the bench, and I'm a little bit off the pace. Like, not not a great game, but it's just – it's that time of year when you're not relegated and you're not going to make playoffs, and it's just like, you know, a dead rubber for both of us. Yeah. And so after the game, uh, and just after the last game, like, Brian Smith calls me into his office, and he's just like, doesn't even offer me a seat, just straight up tells me, I don't think you're a premiership player, so we're going to loan you out next year. <laughs> and that says I can leave. I'm like, geez, nice to meet you too, mate. Fuck. <laughs> and then uh, next day in the hallway, like, uh, he just walks by. He's like, oh, yeah, because of your visa, we can't loan you out. So we're going to buy you out. I'm like, what? what? And, uh, and it keeps walking. I'm like, what the hell? And he was known as a, you know, a bit of a crazy guy yeah uh and i can say that because i ended up loving the guy for four years playing under him yeah um but uh and i went into his office and i was like what do you mean buy me out and he's like and i was on pennies at the time so he was like uh yeah here's five thousand dollars uh you can go five thousand quid you can go play for whoever you want and i was just like smitty i don't know if you know where i come from but I'm getting all my money and I'll run fitness every day, but I'm not going anywhere. And then the next day he calls me and he's like, you ever hear the stormers? I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, well, a good buddy of mine, um, 
Robbie Fleck is the backs coach there, and they've just done their New Zealand Australia tour and lost like six back row, but they don't have any money left in their budget for like a marquee guy. Uh, but I said you're a marquee guy on a on a low key budget. <laughs> Do you want to go? And I'm like, absolutely, I want to go. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I thought you'd say that. We already booked your flight. You leave at ten. <laughs> it's like seven forty five in the morning. I'm like, shit. So I. I pack all my stuff, like call my agent, go to the house that I was living at with the boys. Uh, Bryn Evans, he was sort of the head of household at this place. So I gave him like, I don't know, maybe a hundred bucks cash just to like cover any, you know, the last bit of the Wi-Fi or whatever, packed a bag and hopped on a plane to South Africa. Sure. I land on like a Wednesday night. Nothing, you know, no one to meet then. And then their day off is Thursday. So I go in Thursday, get a rub, get the playbook, talk to the coaches, um, and like go to get my gear and on my on the locker, it's like they've got my name, but they got the wrong picture. Someone else's picture. <laughs> like a red like they've got triple X, triple X gear. And I'm not talking like England triple X that like you know, it would fit me. It's like South African triple X. I'm like, who, who did they think they were getting? I'm like, I'm swimming in this stuff. I'm like, man, they think they don't even have the right picture. And they think I'm triple X. I'm like, this is brutal. And I'd never played eight. I played eight man, maybe like one international game. Sure. And then two of the games I played for Irish. Yeah. But they really need an eight man. So Smitty's like, tell me play eight. So I go down there and they're like, yes, you're, you're an eight. I'm like, oh yeah, whole life. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so I'm out, I get a little massage and a stretch and like, you know, do the physical stuff with the physio and the doc. And then I'm out there just doing some fifties and passing the ball. And then I realize, and then I see the coaches like in the windows, like looking out over the field and yeah. I'm like, they're not watching to see if I'm injured. They're watching to see if I can catch and pass. They have no idea who the hell they've got here. They're seeing if I can do the bare minimum. And so, like, after doing this for, like, 20 minutes and kind of being a little bit panicked, yeah. like, wrong picture, wrong gear, and doing, like, a like basic handling drills, Al- Alistair could see it comes down. He's like, you know, how you feeling? jet lagged and i'm like not nah, good to go like keep in mind we just had our end of season like three day bender like two days ago before i knew i was coming down here so i'm still coughing up like marlboro lights like after a, after a 12 hour flight down to south africa um and i'm like uh yeah no i'm feeling good he's like well we've got uh we've got the war toss on saturday uh, big home game at Newlands. Um, we'll do the number on them, no problem. So we'll put you on. We'll put you on the bench. We'll give you, you know, ten minutes. We've got, uh, you know, two or three back row coming back soon. So this might be your, your only crack, but you know, we'll we'll give you we'll give you a game. And I'm like, yeah, ten minutes off the bench at Newlands. Like, sign me up. Yeah. So Friday comes. I finally meet all the guys. They're you know, they're all speaking Afrikaans, uh, go to the lineouts. They told Andres Becker, like, you know, he's only just to get Jed learning like two lineouts. We'll just run those in the last five or 10 minutes. If there's a lineout when he's on, yeah, whatever. So they run, they run me through like a couple lineouts. 
and then I go back to the hotel that I'm staying at. Next game, I go to the stadium. It's amazing. Like, just I'm shitting my pants, but, you know, only going to get five or ten minutes at the end. Well, like, ten minutes into the game, the back row that I'm, you know, replacing Nizam Carr, boom, ACL done. <laughs> they got to roll me out at, like, the – that's like the 12 minute mark. I don't, I know three people. I've met like three players personally. I don't know any of the calls and I got to play like 70 minutes in front of 55,000 people go to the line out. Like Becker calls a line out in Afrikaans. Two guys come to me to lift. And I'm like, what ball goes over my head. Becker gives me like a shit. Like what? And I'm like, I don't know how for cons, man. And he just starts laughing and we chase the ball. And it was like trial by fire. Oh, my God. So that was my first taste of uh, Super Rugby, my first game. Oh, wow. That's good stuff. And then obviously because the guy did his ACL, was that you in there for the rest of the season? Yeah, so he did his ACL. And then like Berger was – meant to be back at that time but then that was when he had that like bad infection geez i mean he was out from over a year um and then a couple other guys and you know back rows it's like a never-ending conveyor belt of guys just picking up two and four week niggles so once you're in um so that was it yeah i played like 12 or 13 super rugby games on the bounce whatever they had left true because you you don't get injured very often either do you no, not until the one that shut me down for good. True. And how did you find living in South Africa? And what was your like living arrangement like? Man, I my living arrangement was amazing. So Peter Grant, Bash Grant, I don't know, you know him? Yeah, Peter Grant, the 10. Yeah, absolute beauty of a guy. And in Cape Town, like most of the players were, pro- were Afrikaans. Um, but Bashy was uh, English. Um, which Afrikaans, they don't, they can all speak English, but oftentimes they don't, you know, either want to, or it's, I mean, it's their second language. Yeah. And so I went out with him or he introduced me to one of his friends that he went to uh, Bishop's college with. And this guy was, uh, Rich Hardy was his name. Um, and he just moved back to Cape town to go to school. And he was like a little bit upset. He was like, Oh yeah. Like, dad's pulling the company card for me i gotta start paying bills and this and that he's like i just i got this place on the beach but like i just need a roommate who's gonna pay some of the bills and i was staying in some like airbnb for i don't know 100 bucks a night like in the middle of nowhere yeah and i was like can we transfer that to this guy and i'll live with him and they so they sorted out and i ended up moving there and he had a two-bedroom penthouse on camps bay on the water wow and so I just, I lived there for nine months. It, I couldn't, honestly, it was the best, you know, eight, nine months of my life. Uh, and as far as the security thing goes, like, I think it was quite bad because every Sunday morning I'd wake up with like 13 missed calls. Like, where'd you go? Like, did you get home okay? Like, you're not supposed to leave alone. And I'm like, shit, I don't know. I just got drunk and got a cab home. Like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hear it, you know all these stories they drive you to a you know a dead end and steal all your money and leave you there never had any of that never didn't have any threats or anything and then after you're there for you know probably two or three months and you're in the you know, the paper a handful of times 
once you're a stormer, you're pretty much good to go. Yeah. Oh, sweet. And then obviously yeah. that flows on to your – you stayed there for a little bit longer after the super season and played for the Western Province in the Curry Cup. Had a very successful season there. Talk me through that one. Well, yeah, it was supposed to be like a three-month loan. Uh, and then again, like called Smitty at the end of the three months. So it was probably like middle of summer, end of summer. Hey, you know, like, do you want me back for Irish? You know, I've maybe you've seen me play super rugby. Maybe um, you don't think I'm <laughs> shit anymore. And he was like, straight up like, nope. If they want to keep you, they can have you. <laughs> So I so I called I called Flecky back and he, and I'm like yeah like you know Smitty doesn't need me right away he said you know I'm on his list but he doesn't need me right away uh, so I can stay if you'll have me and he's like yeah yeah sweet we'll uh, we'll we'll keep you um, so I ended up staying and and getting to place the Curry Cup which is it, it's gone through different sort of iterations in the last. 10 years yeah um when i when we played when i played it was still most of the super rugby team that wasn't on the internationals would stay so it was still almost the same as super rugby but i think since it's kind of changed yeah and and you guys won the comp that year hey yeah we did yeah uh but like we snuck into i think we were five and five and got like the last playoff spot but then we got all of the inner, all the Springboks back for the semifinals and the finals. Oh, yeah. um, and so we were able to win it against the Sharks in Durban. Did you play? Yeah. Yeah. I played every game. I played four, six, and eight through like the first 10 games. Yeah. Um, number seven down there, not number six. And then when the uh, Dwayne Vermillion came back for the semis and played. Uh, and then Eben Etzebeth came back, and so they were the second row in the back row that pushed me out, and then I was on the bench for the last two games. What were the South African guys like to you? Like, oh, they were great. Uh, they were great. They were unbelievable. I, uh, I think they realized how good of a team they were. We lost in the semifinals um, of the Super Rugby, and I, but I think they realized that they had to bring me in as quickly as they could. Like, it didn't matter if I was shit or not. If I they, I had to be assimilated as quickly as possible because they had a chance of lifting some trophies. So they were unbelievable. Um, Brian Habana was probably just the best. You, you go down there thinking, like, this guy must just have a huge ego and be almost unapproachable. Yeah. And he was the nicest guy. Um, John De Villiers was just the nicest guy. And Skulk Berger, even though he like couldn't play and was – and his health, even when I first got there, was you know not great with his knee. Um, he was just phenomenal, just to have around. Yeah, geez, it was a pretty stacked um, Stormers team year, eh? All these um, South African legends. It honestly, like the the unofficial like game plan was for me was don't fuck up too bad. <laughs> it was like we're, we'd almost play with fourteen if we could get away with it. But, so just don't do whatever you think you want to do. Don't and just do the bare minimum. And don't fuck up. And I did that, and it worked fantastically. Oh, that's good stuff. You know, playing it was play. It was pretty much playing eight behind the Springbok pack. So yeah. like ball on a platter, like every time could do anything. 
And so that was it. Just the unofficial game plan. Jeb, don't fuck up too bad. <laughs> and you obviously did it well enough to impress Brian Smith in the end and get you back to London Irish. Well, bare, like barely. Because even when I was coming back, it was like November, just the end of October, November. So Canada had uh, their November test in England and like call Smitty again. And I'm like, you know, hey, Smitty, I, I, if you need me, I, I don't need these tests. Like, you know, November 2012, you know, we're not prepping for the World Cup yet. I'll, uh, if you need me there, I'll come there. No, we're good. Go ahead, <laughs> play, with, play with Canada. <laughs> so go play with Canada and then come back. And uh, even when I come back, I'm like, can I get a game or something? And, he, and he's like, no, and uh, your resume is good enough now. So we're not going to buy you out anymore. But anytime you want to go, you can go. I'm like, Jesus. And then, uh, so GD, Glenn Blaney is the forwards coach yeah. at that time, who had been signed when I was gone. So I'd never met him. So I show up and I'm like, man, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to try super hard in training and learn whatever I can. And if you want to, you know, fuck me off to some other club, like that's your prerogative, but I'm going to try like as hard as I can. I don't know any other way. Yeah. Um, and like literally that training session after that, like three back rows go down in training <laughs> and they're, fo- and they're forced to play me in, <laughs> at home against Leicester. <laughs> so we play Leicester and I get man of the match and like, you can almost see Smitty's like, fucking irritated he's like fuck i have to play this guy next week so we go to, so we go down to gloucester where we haven't won in like like five years away yeah uh and so we play gloucester and we win and i have like seven positive tackles and smitty again is like pissed and he's on the, but he's on the bus and he's drinking and he comes up to me and he's like uh I had you. I had you all wrong, mate. I'm gonna send you a contract offer in the morning. Oh, sure. So that was it. In the morning, in the next day, he sent me a contract offer, and I was, and that was it. How good! That's awesome. Just that yeah. one little opportunity. Three. It took three injuries, but you got there. What did uh, Calvin say? I just had to get my toe in, in the door. It's <laughs> all you need is that toe. <laughs> just the chip in the chair. <laughs> and then, obviously, from that moment you ended up becoming a London Irish legend you stayed there for what must have been about seven years or something just rode the club to all sorts of glory yeah about six years six and a half years um it was awesome man it was like it was like home and I I don't know that anyone's six-year stint with Irish would be quite like mine with how many coaching changes we went through the venue changes um you know the relegation the the yo-yoing it was like for how fantastic it was and how much i loved it at the time like looking back on it it was like as tumultuous as you could get in the premiership for that club we got sold we got bought uh the grounds got sold and redeveloped and we got moved it was it was a pretty eventful uh, six and a half years. Any good stories from your times at London Irish that you remember that stand out to you? Oh, I lived with Darren Allenson and uh, Connor Gilson in for a while. Two lads. Um, and they're just two of the great characters of the game. Certainly Connor Gilson is just, 
they've always had more injuries and more surgeries and always just runs a low-grade infection after surgery for, like, months. Like, his immune system is absolutely shot. Like, single-handedly, he was just submarining the NHS with all the drugs he needed to stay alive. Like, but living with him was uh just fantastic um what years were you there again jimmy were you just there one year before you parachuted out onto another <laughs> six-figure deal somewhere i was there for two years and i think you were i think we only crossed over for the one though you i think you parachuted out when we made the premiership i didn't parachute out i had my contract ripped up and was a forced parachute what happened there it was just I did my knee at some point at the end of 2014, early 2015 and played through it. Um, you know, not thinking that it was maybe as bad as it was. And it turned out I'd done like a few little bits to the knee. Um, and then got them, got it cleaned up in the May 2015 and then kind of rushed back for the, to make the world cup. I did, you have to be at a fairly, you know, you have to be at your peak physical condition kind of a few weeks out from the World Cup so you can play in some warm-up games. And so I kind of rushed back to that, played the World Cup, and then it was the same kind of thing. I Because I'd, I played the last game of the season, had surgery like on the Monday after the last game, and then rehab for the World Cup, I was told coming when I was coming back to Irish that I get like a month off then. Yeah. But same kind of thing, like came back uh, and, you know, back row crisis. And you guys had had the, the preseason from hell, like a 16-week. You had more injuries from preseason <laughs> than you did from like the first four games of the season. Um, so when I came back, I had to go straight back in. It was one of those things like, oh, as soon as we have enough guys fit, we'll rotate you out. And like no, just no one got fit. Yeah. And then by the end of that season, my knee was acting up again. Summer helped relax it. And then when we were doing preseason of the next year, which would have been the first year of my new deal, uh, I had to go get a scan again. And the doctor was just like, it's not really a surgical option here. We'll just have to go to the rehab option. So I spent like, you know, five months on doing rehab, which they use some non-selections in the rehab as... A continual six-month period of being out for the injury, although oh, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so after six months, they can rip out the contract. So true. Yeah. So they and they, you know, they didn't give me a jersey at the uh, at the last game, and then I was away. I was in uh, Vegas for Luke Nairway's stag, and so like. Yeah, cool. <laughs> went right from Luke Nairway's stag to Darren Allenson's five day wedding to <laughs> Luke Nairway's wedding, like in three weeks. Anyway, you could not have done more damage to your body in a, in a, in a twelve day period if you tried. Um, well, yeah, when I was in Vegas, I just got a text from uh, Nick and was like. Yeah, your surplus to require your surplus to requirements in September. Thanks for all you've done. And True. That was it. End of it. Was that knee injury the one that um, finished your career in the end, though? So when I'd come back, not not really. Like I played the last 
13 games or 15 games in a row for Irish. Like oh, yeah. I was playing and like playing lots of minutes uh, and the knee was fine, but it was, uh, you know, being a Canadian on a, you know, a foreign reserve spot, um, not really a contract that they wanted to carry knowing that they couldn't play me every game because they needed the EQP players. Yeah. And then seeing the loophole and being able to get out of the contract, they took it. True. So a business decision, but a shitty one. Yeah. <laughs> shitty one for you for sure. So then how did yeah. the career come to an end? What happened? Oh, so Nick Rouse had just retired and was up coaching Rotherham. Yeah. And I was a few months away from getting permanent residency in England, but it's all tied to your contract. So I needed a, a, a contract in rugby, whether as a coach or a player. Uh, Rousey was like, come up to Rotherham and we'll sign you and you can stay. And I went up to Rotherham and it was just, you couldn't imagine a worse place in the whole, in the whole world. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's bad. You can do, you can do anything for six months, but I could not have done that. It was literally, I did that for two weeks, staying at, living out of a bag in a hotel in Rotherham. Uh, and like Rosie's the coach, but he's also like my best mate. So I'm like, we're coming to training together, and I'm like I'm just commiserating with him, and I'm like, what am I? I'm not gonna live up here. I I can't. Like I'm done. Yeah. So I literally. Waited for the end of the training, went to the went to the head coach and went to Rousey and was like, "Fellows, I'm retiring. Like, thanks for the opportunity." And I left and I called and I texted and then I texted Rousey right after. I'm like, "Enjoy the afternoon session. I'll be in the pub. Come get me." And that was it. <laughs> he right drove by the pub. And came and got me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, classic. And have you found your transition out of rugby? Obviously something that a lot of people get a little bit nervous about, the big transition. How have you found it? It was tough. Like, I I really, I, you know, you do the, the Rugby Players Association stuff and your, and your connections for post-rugby, you know, are generated through the club oftentimes, like sponsors and, and you know, those types of businesses through your club. They yep. really would will put out a hand to kind of help you and to guide you and to teach you and stuff like that. But my visa was tied to my contract. So as soon as that was ripped up, I had like 60 days to get out of the country. Um, and I hadn't lived in Canada since like sort of 2010. Um, and I haven't lived like in my hometown since I left for Edinburgh in 2006. So I didn't have any, sort of home base in 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 uh in canada and my girlfriend at the at the time well she's still my girlfriend now but at the time <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah uh was trying to transfer uh within facebook to work in the london office where she'd work you know a few weeks at a time in london oh yeah and we we're that was where we were gonna kind of set up and when that all got changed, I kind of said, you know, Halifax, Toronto, or Vancouver, those are the three cities that are big enough in Canada, you know, for what you, what she wanted to do with her career. And, and, and I said, pick one. Uh, and she was like, Vancouver. And I was like, sweet. So I moved all my stuff here and, 
yeah, just kind of transitioned on my own and got into some coaching, which was just phenomenal because it's an amateur sport here. So, you know, you coach and you get a, you know, the club gave me like a little bit of money to coach and stuff, but it's, it's just, it's the network of the people. So I just hit that hard and got them to introduce me to everyone, you know, that they could and just kind of did that. What do you miss the most about the game? Because you were always a massive part of the team's banter and I guess the locker room banter. So um, surely that's you must miss that or have you recreated it in your new work office? Man, I wish you can't recreate that here. Like you'll go to jail. For <laughs> uh, but I like I miss the dressing room so much. Like I don't even need to play. Yeah. I just want to like two hours a day sit in the dressing room <laughs> with the boys and abuse each other and hide shit on each other and steal shit and burn shoelaces and hide people's clothes. That's all I want to do. Like it was the best. I could not wait to get to training every day just to like just to abuse people in the weight room and shoot the shit in the in the showers. Like it was honestly the best. I'd shower twice after training just to get two different groups of the lads. Like just it was phenomenal. Because you know you get you get the guys who like rush off the field. They've got wives and kids and stuff, and they're like, can't do extras. Got to kick like got to go see the kids. So yeah. strip down quickly, like shower with them to abuse them. And then you come out and wait for like the young guys to come in, and then you'd be like, let's do it again, fellas. Like just to go again, like just yelling at guys, hiding shoes. Oh, oh man, it was good. Is it fair to say you enjoyed that part of rugby more than playing? Uh it depended because it was so tied together. Yeah. Because that part that part of rugby was so much better, you know, A, when the team was playing well or B, when you were playing well. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, just to be able to banter with guys and abuse guys, you can abuse a guy for a shit play when you've won or when he's played, like, exceptionally well aside from that play. Yeah. But you can't do that when you've lost. So the banter is so much better when you're winning. So yeah, sure. and then and then playing for wins is obviously <laughs> you know the best part because you want to be a part of that so you can abuse guys. Oh, geez, the king abuser. Well, as yeah. always, we've gone to the Instagram for some questions, and people have wanted to ask you so many questions about your abusing <laughs> days, about your fights. You've done it all. You're a character that a lot of people love to play with so we'll get through some questions who's the weirdest lad you've come across oh jeff cross bar none (laughs) the doctor like i'll still like i'll be in traffic and i'll still catch myself thinking like what is that guy up to (laughs) like he was such an odd odd man i love i love him to death but one of the game's truly weird characters he was a trained he was a trained GP or was or had just had his last sort of test to go before he was a GP. Um, so a hyper intelligent um, and a tight head prop. And there's uh, but he took every he took everything 
he was likely the easiest player to coach, but also the hardest because he took everything literally. Um, so you couldn't just casually tell him to do something because he would just, you couldn't be like, yeah, and then you just block that player. You know, everyone else would know that you subtly block that player. He'd go out like a linebacker and like, boom. Like, and he'd be like, oh, shit. <laughs> So it was just ah that kind of stuff and some of his comments and he was always playing uh, video games on his phone. Like his phone was an inch away from his face the whole time. And just like me, he loved to strip down naked and sit in the change room just in his socks. We were at both ends of the change room. So it would be the two of us in our socks naked just like ah. What He was a genuinely fantastic character. He was the one who tackled someone. In the air, right? There's a video that went around. Oh, find that video if you can. So it's like, it's Scotland versus Wales and the Six Nations uh, in, I think it's Millennium Stadium. And, you know, you know, 10, and this would have been probably 10 or 12 years ago for his first cap, right? Maybe even more. Yeah. Um, You know how when, you know, the nine or the 15 or the 10 is like way over kicked the mark uh, or way over kicked like the contestable. And a guy like 10 meters in front of the kicker might fake to go up to catch a kick just to pull like that one rabbit maybe off his step. Yeah. So he's obviously seen another fullback or winger do something similar. And like I said, like so coachable, he saw that and was like, this is the thing to do at this time. And it probably was, but not for a prop. And so this ball's, he thinks this ball is like massively over his head. So he's gone up for a fake catch, but it's the ball's actually only going to be like a meter behind him. So Lee Burns come up to actually get it and put both knees into the side of Jeff's head and knocked him out. And he's come down and boom, done both MCLs and fallen over backwards. But he's taken Lee, Lee Byrne out in the air. So as he's got a concussion and two MCLs and he's on a stretcher and the ref comes over and gives him a yellow card on this stretcher. And that's his, it's like 10 minutes into his first cap and he doesn't remember it at all. And you got to find the video. Oh my God. Oh, get that one. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sums him up. Anyway, next question. Who's the most inspirational person that you know? I will. Hmm, most inspirational person I know. So that, I'll take, I'll do two. So two of them, Jacques Ninebar, who's the, uh, I think, well, I think he's the Springbok head coach now, um, took over from Rassi, and Rassi's the director or president or whatever they call him down there. But Jacques Ninebar was the defensive coach for the Stormers when I was there. Um, but he's not like a, he doesn't have a coaching background or like a playing background. He was a, he was a physio that worked his way up. But some of his pregame speeches would literally, you could eat through the tin can Red Bull that you were drinking. Like you (laughs) wanted, they didn't need to open doors. I will run right through it. He would fire. The problem was, is his defensive speeches were like four hours before kickoff. So you'd be, trying to get a pregame nap, like vibrating in your bed. Um, And then the other one I think was uh, as a player and playing with and for him was Skivington, George Skivington. Yeah. Um, And the inspirational because he was so honest. 
like as a player, he was just like the hardest worker, no questions asked. And even times like I remember one of his comments, he got in the ball somewhere in the attacking play. And I can remember he piped up in the meeting and he's like, guys, if I have the ball here, like something's gone wrong. Like I tackle, I run lineouts and I ruck. Like yeah. why do I have the ball? And I was just like, that honesty was just so good. I loved it. Self-awareness. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Okay, next question. Give us a brief description of the Shelbourne Mansion and its inhabitants. Ah, uh, so the, Sh- the Shelbourne Mansion. Uh, so this place has since been, they basically when we moved out, they had to condemn it and bulldoze it. Uh, <laughs> and it was, we'd been a few, this was when I was playing in the Canada like Academy days, and we were on a government stipend of, like 900 bucks a month and Victoria is a pretty pricey Canadian city. Like 900 bucks a month would barely get you like a room to rent. Yeah. So we'd have, but you, we've got like rent controls and things like that. So whenever you found a house that let the rugby boys in any vacancy, you just fill with a rugby guy. So I'm not even sure whose names were on the leases when we finally moved in, but it had been a rugby place for like 10 years. Yeah. Um, but I lived with a guy who played uh, about 50 games for uh, for Canada Sevens, and his name was uh, Tony Lacart or the Creature, uh, and he he would <laughs> he well one so he was one of the inhabitants, um, and one night I came back and he it was uh, just before the 2010 Olympics, which were in Canada. And so they were showing just a ton of the qualifying events for all the winter sports because it was going to be held in Vancouver, which is like an hour away from Victoria. Yeah. And uh, so he'd been watching these qualifying events like all day Saturday, like drinking, like loving it. Um, and he's and we had it was all linoleum on the ground floor. And so he's going out and bought like an industrial packet of uh laundry detergent and put it all over the floor and he's put on a hockey helmet and he's just skating around in the in our house pretending he's a speed skater just lit up drunk and i've come back and i'm like and there's bubbles and suds everywhere and he's just in tidy whities in a nice helmet barefoot just skiing and that was it and it was that happened. Those types of things happened like a lot uh, in that house with all the different characters. Uh, and and then when we moved out, I went by there uh, probably a year ago, uh, and they bulldozed it down and had to put a new house up. So we <laughs> you we that. ended that. Oh, good stuff. Okay, next one. What is the dumbest thing you've done on the pitch? We'll go back to the sevens days and one that I get abused by for those guys. Uh, we're playing Wales in Twickenham on like the fifth game of the second day. So like our last day, we're not going to make any crossovers. Like this has been a terrible experiment of Jeb playing sevens. Um, and so I, but it's quite loud there and you have to change like really quickly because it's sevens and you know they don't waste time with anything. Yeah. And so I've the refs have called someone's number and I've called the wrong one. So I sub 
two guys off and don't notice. And then we had to play the last the last minute or last two minutes of this game, like seven and six. <laughs> and we're already getting pistol whipped anyway. But it just shows me like going out there and like pointing at two guys like like I got this. So the boys say like, oh, Jeb, super Jeb comes on, thinks he can sub off two guys. I didn't know the ref that called someone off, else off. And he's just taking his jersey. He was on the far side, and he's just taking his jersey off and gone the wank. So we played six against seven for like a minute or two. But, yeah, I, I still don't live that down. You would have had your own as two players, though, surely. Oh, especially in sevens. Yeah. Okay, next one. This is a good one. Is Jerry Sexton tougher than you? Oh, is that from Jerry? No, this is from Scott Steele. Oh, Steely, congrats on his caps and on his Calcutta Cup. Um, no, no, he's not. I mean, well, is he tougher? He might be because when you're that dumb, you got to be tough. <laughs> but I I walk that guy endlessly on the face a few times and he doesn't even budge. So maybe he is tough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. I remember we, we had a Jerry and I had, and he's a great guy and I really like him. Uh, Jerry and I had a scrap one time at training that the coaches didn't even bother to break up because they said it looked like you two were fighting in molasses. We were just two big, tired guys just throwing like just pillows. We were so tired. We were, ah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, the training fights. That gets us on to yeah. the next three or four questions. <laughs> <laughs> Who won his fight with Eddie Alholi? Uh, Eddie Aholihi. You'll find you can find this clip on YouTube and I think you should. And he he honestly sparked me into about the next month. <laughs> There's like a little fight breaks out. Uh, Tonga playing Canada. I think it's twenty third, summer twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen. I can't remember exactly. Um, and I'm nowhere near the play, nor near the fight. It's kind of happening just to my peripheral. I come over, obviously grab the other six, and I just abusing him, telling him just general abuse or whatever. Uh, and Eddie Aholi, he's just behind him, and when I talked to him after says he thought uh, because he's behind him and I come in close to him that I've like headbutted him. Oh yeah. Uh, so it comes over the guy's shoulder, boom. And like catches me right in the face. And like, he just see, I just drop into the camera view, like completely <laughs> asleep, knock my face clean off. Like, whew. geez, that wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened very often either. To go to Sparky me? No, that was the first time I was mm. I went to went to sleep from a punch. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. So you didn't win that one. Um, no. Okay. Did you ever actually bury the Romanian number six? <laughs> no, and I. Well, that was just it, the refs. Mike picked up something, and he was, you know, holding her one of those. You know, a player similar to myself, really, just pushing everyone after the whistle, getting in everyone's head. And I can do it, but you're not allowed. And so I, I've gone up to him and I'm like, if you do that again, I'll fucking bury you. And the ref's right there and the, and the ref's mic just picks it up perfectly. So, like, when you're watching this game, when it's streamed or whatever, 
you don't hear anything other than whistles and some general grunts and then just my voice i'll fucking bury you (laughs) (laughs) oh classic okay that o'tooling of sinclair can you explain the o'tooling of sinclair (laughs) the o'tooling of jeff so where i come from in new brunswick uh a tiny 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 province with uh not a whole lot of rugby compared to the rest of canada and a player that i played with and against right from high school we actually made it all the way to the world cup together yeah um and in one, but he was a lot like me, uh, a hockey player and loved to fight and loved to scrap. And we played the, we played the same, you know, we were both back rows, but played it very differently. And we were really big rivals as well as friends. So we fought each other all the time. Uh, and on one particular time, he lit it like, and we're in these tackle suits. And so, He's literally like flipped me and I've tried to get my arms out of these tackle suits at the same time, but only ended up like basically making like a straight jacket with it. So I can't move them at all. And he's just like got me on the ground and he's just on top of me just one after another and I can't get my arms out to move them. And so he's just beat the face right off me. And, uh, and so we get up and the coach, uh, coach is like, boy, like, you know, whistle. That's enough. Okay, good makes us hold hands and run a lap together so we have to do a lap holding hands while the boys all look at us clapping and then back into training oh yeah it was so good oh that's good stuff you obviously you get into all these fights but you're not they don't mean anything to you eh? you're real quick to get over things like that yeah of course and i and i definitely in training fought the guys that had that same mentality yeah you know what I mean? It, there was always, you know, every team had, you know, five or ten of those types of forwards that would always go if you wanted to. Like yeah. <laughs> Irish had tons. What we call Tim Hat Tuesday was it? We didn't leave sometimes until there was a fight. I remember we had a we we were playing in the the Christmas game, so it would have been on like December twenty sixth. We were playing, so we were having a full on training like three o'clock on December 24th yeah, and like full mauling and brawling and guys are like punching each other in the face, like Christmas Eve, like let's do it. Like mall, tin hat Tuesday. It's not, we're not ending until there's at least two fights. And that was just fine with me. <laughs> Would you ever get in the ring? Uh, no, it was, it's better. Like it's better when it's just spontaneous. Oh, like, yeah. 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 You never. You're not planning. I didn't go out there planning to punch guys. <laughs> it's just like what end up happening. <laughs> okay, who was your favorite player to wind up? Oh, uh, I mean, Cowan was one of them because <laughs> he just he just bite on everything. He just he just nibbled right away. He couldn't stop. He'd look you dead in the face and know that you were fucking with him and still bite. Uh, Gilly as well, like relentless with Gilly. Um, like Naz and I would just basically rotate around the dressing room, just <laughs> picking a new character every couple of days, just to abuse. Like, <laughs> just someone, just pick a different character to fuck with for seventy-two hours and move on to the next, <laughs> to the next victim. <laughs> so good. Okay. Favorite moment at London Irish. 
Uh, yeah, there's we beat Leicester away in like 2013 or 2014 when Smitty was uh, Smitty was the head coach, and this was in the middle of like Leicester's, you know. 15 years in the top four, 15 years in a row in the playoffs, like, and they would basically do the double on us, like, every year. Um, let, you know, we'd scrape away maybe a win or a losing bonus point at home, but never, never at uh, Welford Road. So we've gone up there and we're winning at half by like a handful of points, you know, three or four, not much, very much still a game. And one, I think we'd scored from me pulling a guy back, and, and it was uh, maybe a questionable uh, <laughs> scoring opportunity. And so, and you know, their dressing rooms up there, yeah, it's like a, a two foot corridor that both teams and the referees and all the coaches have to go down at the same time. So we're going back in as they're going back in, and Smitty and Cockerell have like butted chess, and they're like. I'll, I'll kill you like and they're going for it and they like cameras are there it's a tv game and the refs are like pulling it apart and we're in the dressing room like we don't even need a halftime like the coach is gonna he wants to scrap we don't need a halftime get us back out there like we're ready to go yeah. and so we scrapped uh and so and at, just as we're hauling smitty in the dressing room he's like i'll wait for you in the parking lot after the game <laughs> and so we've We've gone, we beat them. We've got the, the four points and we're waiting on the bus after and it's, and it's raining and Smitty stands outside the door of the bus until all the cars in that parking lot have left. And he comes back on the bus and he just goes, he didn't fucking show. And we just <laughs> crack the beers and, and take our two and a half hour drive back. That was like amazing. Um, and then, you know, just some of the the three dayers and the you know the team socials that are you know planned. You get one or two socials a year yeah. outside the outside of the Mad Monday at the end of the year, and you know when those are planned well and you, and everyone and the coaches are on board with you know two or three days off from the fitness to let you recover. It's just like it's the best. Yeah, so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Most memorable World Cup story. I think, well, I mean, I'll get a bit sappy, but I think it was just, uh, we played, you know, we played Tonga in the first game. They were certainly the favorites. They beat, they beat France four days or five days before us, which probably helped in our favor. Um, they had a short turnaround and it was our first game. So we were, we were pretty fresh, um, and scoring a try and getting to, and we won by, you know, five points with, you know, there's four or five lead changes in that game. Um, and then just, you know, seeing my mom and dad in the crowd as you're doing the, like the lap after. And, yeah. you know, my I don't my dad's probably never cried in his life, but he was he had a tear then. And that was, so that was pretty emotional and memorable and something I think about quite often. Oh, there is a sippy Jeb in there. <laughs> yeah, there is, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. And last question. What is one piece of advice you would give to a young Jebediah? Oh, to a young Jebediah. Well, I think just like like Blaro said on your last on the last episode, you know the R, the RPA does some fantastic work uh, 
and would literally open any door that you felt necessary. First, I wish that I, I would have known that I had, you know, that I liked kind of commercial real estate and I would have tried to do uh, a lot more of this on the side of playing, certainly in those last two years when I was living on the physio bed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for any, for a young Jeb or for any young player that, you know, thinks that rugby's going to be the best and going to fill the coffers for a long retirement. Man, I I wish I would have leaned on the RPA a lot harder for those you know six or seven years than I did. It's great advice, JB. One thing I will say is, I think it's important for and in Canada probably more so because we have so few. Is for every rugby player to stay involved in the sport as long as possible. Yeah. Um, the amateur. I was, you know, with the falling out with Irish and kind of leaving professional sport and like just the sour taste in your mouth just from professional rugby in general um i'm so glad that i got reinvolved on the amateur side with yeah. with club mariloma the mariloma rugby club um it's it, it's almost like uh like therapy you know what i mean like yeah. coaching and just being at a club helping and yeah. realizing that there's people that you know are in you know, lawyers and doctors and high paying jobs that still are desperate to play rugby on Tuesday, Thursdays and Saturdays because they love it so much. Yeah. And when you're in the professional game, you got guys that are like, they almost hate being there, but they have to because there's money. Yeah. So it's great to go back into the amateur side and be like, ah, I forgot. Like you can actually love rugby just to fuck around with your mates. So I'm so glad that I've done that and I'm able to stay involved at that level. How good. What a way to finish the podcast. Really appreciate you coming on the show, Jeb. I know I've been trying to time this one to just explode up the charts. This is it, buddy. I hope, <laughs> I hope you're ready for the, your pickoff here. <laughs> yeah, okay. If you got headshots to sign, you're going to need autographs. You're going to need a lot more gear. <laughs> You've done it. I can't wait to release it. It's going to be so uh, good. It's- see my name up on the top of the Canadian charts and probably worldwide to be fair, won't it? You know, you're going to get Paul from England, South Africa. You may, you may get worldwide chart notice here, man. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. And obviously I had enjoyed my one year stint with you in London, Irish. You're a good value, good man to have around the team. Enjoyed watching your banter from afar. Didn't enjoy it coming at me, but like everyone, it's always good to laugh at someone else. <laughs> Oh, man, you and I, we could have been the best 5-10 combo in the country if you just, if I would have played another year. Oh, what could have been. Anyway, appreciate your time, mate. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, pal.